0: Judy thanks so much for coming on really appreciate it
1: well thanks for having me
0: yeah no it's good um I've been following your your content for a long long time um I really love your style and just your whole message that you're sending to the world and I've read your book um such good stuff and I'm, I'm really excited to to just dive into a topic that um I'm really passionate about and I think you're doing some amazing stuff in the world so yeah, I really appreciate your time. <laughs> well,
1: thank you, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Pleasure. So, I thought I'd maybe start with your your backstory and how I'm. I'm often fascinated by how people end up in the meat based realm. You know, how do people actually make their way? Because I think so many people have different stories of how they got there. And, but um, uh, wh- how did you end up? You know, being fascinated with the meat-based diets and and speaking about it and promoting it, I would love to maybe get it from your perspective.
1: Sure. So I was plant-based for about twelve years. I had occasional fish, so I guess the technical term is that I was pescatarian. On most days, I didn't eat fish though. Um, so I did a lot of the Boca burgers back then, and um, a lot of big bowl salads and stuff like that. And and then. In that time, I started struggling with an eating disorder. So behind closed doors, sure, I lost weight and people said, oh, you're so healthy because you're plant-based. Um, and behind closed doors, I was struggling with, oh, but I'm always hungry and um, I want all this fat and other things. And so at night I would start binging and it just turned into this really, really uh, big monster of a disordered eating eating disorder. And when I had my first child, it everything just kind of came crashing. I ended up in the hospital. I was forced to stop nursing. I was put on psychiatric meds, lots of stuff. I was still using behaviors, still plant-based, was trying to nurse my son. And um, they recommended that I went to an eating disorder intensive facility. So I did that. And I tried all the things they recommended, the intuitive eating, the mindful eating, trying to just focus on no food is off the limits and uh, moderation is key. And And it worked for bits and my why was bigger. So my son was a big reason to not use behaviors, but I was still struggling. And in that facility, I remember that plant-based was completely honored. So if I didn't want to eat meat, I wasn't asked to eat meat. But if I said I was low carb, because someone else was low carb. I remember that back then. And they're like, that's an eating disorder. So they were not allowed to skip the bread, skip the pizzas and things like that. And. Um, I think while I was just trying to get better and then my second son was coming along, I just started looking into nutrition. Um, My psychologist back then said, you were born with like mild depression. You have to take uh, antidepressants for the rest of your life. There's nothing wrong with that. And I believe that. So I started taking it. It wasn't really working within three months. I was on the highest dose and I didn't feel like the biggest lows, but I didn't really feel any highs. My my emotions and personality was very muted and I would still start struggling with eating disorders and ended up finding keto. Um, I, that helped a lot, but again, that a little amount of carbs again, made me, uh, triggered me that on bad days that that became a binge. And so I had a friend online that's recommended. There's this crazy diet called a carnivore diet, And why don't you try it? Because it seems like that little amount of carbohydrates is causing you to struggle every once in a while. So I said, okay, um, I don't eat meat, but because I did keto, even non-meat based as well. And I said, screw it. Like, I want to get healthier. Um, I have two kids now and I need to stop using behaviors. And so I thought maybe if carbs were just not on the table, it would be that much easier. And I tried a meat only diet for the thought was just two weeks and then now it's almost 5 years um i'm on zero medication i do not struggle with depression and i am actually upset that they told me i would have to take antidepressants for the rest of my life that i would just had mild depression i don't struggle with depression whatsoever sure there's days that are lower moods but it's not at all what i struggled with and i don't have any eating disorder behavior sure there's days where in my mind i'm like oh i kind of ate a lot maybe i should eat a little less at dinner but that's the extent of it. It's not what I used to struggle with. And, and so now I've become an advocate. Um, I wanted to understand why did my mental health heal? Why did my physical symptoms, why do I just feel better eating meat after 12 years? And as I dug into the science, I just got really angry because I learned that everything I knew about nutrition was wrong. Um, Limiting fats was wrong. And, um, and it took a good, 15 years of my life away where I was isolating, self-harming and all these things. And now I hope that no one goes through what I went through. And so it's why I've become an advocate.
0: Wow. It's it's amazing. There, there's so many different directions I could <laughs> spring <laughs> off of that. Um, yeah. My mom actually specifically, she's been on carnivore now as well. And, and that basically healed her arthritis and she was a, a vegetarian for thirty years before that. Oh. Um, anorexic, binge, binge eating, a uh, bit of bulimia, and things like that. So it's amazing to see just the healing power of it. Um, right. And I mean, you mentioned you mentioned kids. You mentioned you know going keto first. So I, I think I'm going to start with the. Yeah, the progression that people go on. So like a lot of people that I sort of speak to. So uh, I'll give you an example. I, in 2014, I was, um, I was about 90 pounds heavier than I was now. And I just decided to, to lose weight. And I, I started with a low carb, traditional low carb diet, you know, lots of veggies and the keto foods, as I'm sure you know. And then I sort of progressed, progressed, progressed. Then I found you know sean baker and joe rogan i was like hey this is interesting let me try this that worked you know one thing led to another carnivore so i, I don't know if you can speak to this progression mm-hmm. because a lot of people i speak to are a bit reluctant to just jump into a meat-based diet from like a standard american diet is you know what do you think about that is it okay to go on your own sort of progression your own path or how uh, how uh, however you want to tackle that question
1: sure Um, so the, most of my clients are, they're ketogenic or meat-based. So I don't think I have a good sense of the general population, but what I would tell you is it's really hard to go from eating a standard American diet, maybe having 300 grams of carbohydrates every day to then going ketogenic there. Um, Sometimes it's easier to do a step-down approach, meaning that you lower your carbs every week or so, and that will definitely be easier on the body. Your body won't have as much of a shock on the system. You're not asking your body to tap into fatty acid stores for energy instead of all of a sudden switching from glycogen to fats. So from a physical perspective, it makes sense. The part I'm struggling is that the emotional side. I know I could have never done it where I would go, okay, like this week, I'm going to eat 50 grams less. And then the next week, because if I was that good at it, I probably wouldn't have ever had an eating disorder. I probably wouldn't have had binge tendencies. So for a lot of my clients that struggle with things like that to say, well, let's dwindle down your carbs for some people that's torturous. And that's where I think understanding somebody's mindset is super important as well as knowing where they come from. Maybe the Um, Maybe the approach is what you did is do low carb first, where you're minimizing as many carbs, but still include veggies and eat more real foods. Um, And then you switch to a ketogenic, which is a lot more restriction on the carbohydrates. And then maybe you go carnivore because I think the switch from eating basically everything you can that's labeled as food and then to go to only meat sounds like such a huge jump. But as you do that progression, you know, that carbs are less and less and less. And then it becomes, oh, then I just need to cut some of the veggies or seasonings. And then it becomes a lot more palatable, I think, from that perspective. But people need to just be very mindful of their personalities, where they're coming from, their illnesses. Um, my mom, she was diabetic, had all the metabolic so- syndrome issues. I had her switch from her high carb burning lifestyle to keto, and she struggled a lot. So even with my care, um, I stayed with her for two months. I had her transition test blood ketones, but she she was diabetic. So for the first couple weeks, she was sleeping most of the time. Um, I wasn't as familiar with electrolytes. Then she did take some salt, but maybe she would have done better with that, but she was just really tired. And I wonder if the transition was a little bit slower for her. So maybe hundred grams to the 50 and she never struggled with disordered eating. Maybe it would have been a little easier on her body, but I mean, fast forward time, like, yes, she struggled the first month. um, But now she's a keto carnivore for like three and a half years. And no medications, not diabetic. So I don't know, like, what is it better to just pull the band-aid in the beginning or, and just try it and say, I'm going to give it three months, even if it's hard in the beginning, or am I a person that needs like a step-down approach because going all in is quite scary.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned so many different things there and the one was uh, mindset. I think, I don't know if it's an Instagram post you did or something. I can't recall, but it depends the type of person you are at the end of the day. Because totally. I feel I feel like I feel like if I had known what I had known in 2014, what I do now, I probably would have just jumped straight into the meat-based mm-hmm. way of eating and it probably would have made things so much smoother. But there was kind of this like there was kind of this amazing appreciation, I guess, mm-hmm. for the journey, you know, that I had been on. So when I reached that point of going meat-based, it, it really everything just seemed to click for me if that if that makes sense um and yeah. i mean you mentioned you mentioned your, you mentioned your kids and things and what i love about your your content and about you as a person is that you've got so much skin in the game you know you are a mom you are living a real life you you're doing real things you you didn't you didn't upreach your whole life to go to you know costa rica and and decide to do certain things that side or something you know there's really an element of realism to what you do. And, and that's what I love. Um, how, so obviously being a big family and stuff, I would imagine, you know, things get a bit expensive. Um, Carnival on a budget. How, how, do you, how do you budget your carnivore? How do you make it accessible to, to everyone, the general population?
1: Yes. Um, before I touch that, I just wanted to touch on the abstainer moderator personality. So yes. I think if the people that are listening and watching to your content if people understand that the world functions in a moderator type of world where you are not well, if you live on the fringes or you live on the edges. And so everything is about moderation. And that's where I think doing low carb seems more realistic for people where it's like, okay, so I can have a Snickers, but maybe I just have a little less about it. And so understanding that Um, some of us are just not wired that way though. And that's the thing that I learned along my journey, which has been huge is I always knew I was extreme. Like I was either black or white, or I, I went to these extremes and, and I always try to fit myself in this moderator type of world where, okay, I'm going to buy a chocolate bar, but I'm just going to have two pieces every day. And that's the allocation I made myself. And until I fix that, then I'm not cured. That's what they used to say in the eating disorder facilities. Well, I learned that I'm an abstainer, which means that the amount of the little allotment and making that decision of, should I do veggies or should I do a chocolate is so much harder for somebody like me and the way that I'm wired versus if I were to just say carbs are not on the table. And so it's a non-food and then there's no decision-making there. Mm -hmm. So at night when my body is exhausted and my mental health is exhausted from making so many decisions throughout the day saying, no, I can't eat this, or I'm going to be healthy. But then by night where I, I don't have that power anymore, if I just say carbs are off the table, there's no decision making. And so maybe I have some pork rinds, but even that gets tiring after a while. And it just becomes that you don't want it. And when that decision making of is not even there, it gives you back the power to say, I'm an abstainer. I don't even look at carbs as food. Wow, I I'm now resisting a lot of my binge tendencies. And that's the power for a lot of people with the mental health aspect of a carnivore diet. So I think when it comes to any types of tendencies, habits, addictions, if you are an all or nothing, then that's something really to think about. Because when there's an alcoholic, we don't say, well, you're a true, you're really healed from your alcoholism if you have one little drip of alcohol every day. No, like I am not an alcoholic. So if I wanted to have a little bit of alcohol, I know it doesn't affect me. So maybe for me, that's fine. But for somebody that ever struggled with alcoholism, it's not at all normal to say have some mm-hmm. everyday and test yourself to see if you're truly healed because that mm-hmm. it doesn't work that way it doesn't work with our dopamine and and so if you ever have a struggle with food and relationships and turning to food for comfort and coping uh, for celebration for anger then you may actually do better by abstaining. And that's not something that's really talked about in the general audience. So just a tip Um, Mm -hmm. in terms of,
0: and sorry, I will, I will, I will add, because um, that just sort of sprung something up there, but definitely. um, And thank you. Thank you for saying that because that, that was what I actually meant when you, when you said that. And I often like to think that for me, certainly as somebody who was a binge eater, Mm -hmm. um, carnivore going carnivore meat based was sort of spiritual and I'll tell you why is because for the first time in my life I wasn't I could I could not shove my negative emotions with food yes. so it actually allowed me when I really dived into it full-time this was just before lockdown when I when I went like full full carnivore for a bit it was the first time where I was processing my emotions without food and it was this amazing experience. And I think that's something similar. It's, it's really that abstain and moderation mindset. It's like, who are you and what's going to work for you? So, so yeah. yeah, So, so thanks for that. I, I enjoyed that.
1: And that's the power of a carnivore diet as well is once you don't have food as a source of comfort or a source of numbing, then what? Right. So then you have to dig deeper and realize, oh, I didn't realize I used food to comfort myself to to just deal with life. Well, now you're forced to deal with your life and maybe just maybe you'll have a better life because now you're dealing with the real things that are causing some duress in your life. Um, yeah. And And most people will never realize that if they always have like food as a drug in their life.
0: Definitely. I couldn't agree more.
1: Um, okay, so in terms of the family, um, so I I do believe in the U.S. at least, uh, if you buy from your local farmer, like meaning you really go to the ranch and you get some meat or you get some eggs, they are compensated the most compared to if you buy just from the grocery store. The grocery store still is a collection of all the meats from all the farmers, but they don't get as much of the um, the money. So that's where I do like to support. And from a financial perspective, it's a lot more economical. If I'm trying to buy grass-fed, grass-finished, pasteurized, all of those are much more economical when you have someone local. Now, I live in Texas, so there's a lot more ranchers and farmers than maybe somewhere else. So I do have that. And so I do a split. Um, Generally, we will go to the grocery store and we'll buy meats there. And then we also will um, get like quarter steer, we'll get the eggs there. It really depends on just convenience, timing, and um, availability. In terms of financial, so I went to school in nutritional therapy school and it was all about, you need to buy grass-fed, grass-finished, pasteurized. And I understand that from a, I guess, an environmental perspective. So if you do regenerative farming, you will support healing the earth more than let's say a CAFO. And then maybe in terms of just the ethicalness of treating um, animals. But other than that, Uh, just from a nutrient density perspective, there's not really much difference. Even the hormone arguments, um, a lot of those just don't hold weight when you do a lot of the research. So hormones, the levels of estrogen is really nowhere near what people think um, compared to like, if you ate like a ounce of tofu, for example, the levels of estrogen. Um, And so our family, sometimes we will buy like the five pound ground beef. And it really comes down to about, two, three dollars a pound. And then if you were to buy like a dozen eggs and you buy the most conventional, it's maybe a dollar fifty. So a family can absolutely eat that way and remove all the other stuff. Like you're not really snacking anymore. You're not having all these other like seasonings and figuring out how to make these lavish meals. I mean, when it's mostly meat based and you just get to the bare basics, it's actually very, very affordable. And so I, I think that The average person that lives in standard care's level of food and dietary guidelines, if they were to just switch to just ground beef, eggs, bacon, and the meats that they enjoy, and and don't worry about the labels, just make sure there's not really anything added to the meats, uh, you will be far greater in health than um, if you were to eat uh, just like the standard American diet and adding other things. So. It's very possible to eat economical, we like to buy in bulk, we buy when there's a lot of sales. So we have a chest freezer in the garage. And when a meat's on sale, when we buy the quarter steer, we will stock up. And so when the meat then ha- there's no sales, or um, everything's just kind of getting expensive, like lately, like lately, Um We will Mm. just, you know, go into our reserves and, and a lot of things that are easy again, is that we don't really snack. And so we save a lot of money on those things and we drink mostly water and sparkling water. And so, again, that's even economical as well.
0: Yeah, I I agree. It's been, um, it's been interesting for myself because I've just uh, recently moved to Amsterdam and I've been living here for a bit now. And almost all of the ground beef that you buy at the supermarkets have, some weird preservative in i, I can't really? oh. it's so strange and I, and I can taste it i can taste the difference <laughs> so i try and buy local when i can but yeah i agree with you it's just trying to find that happy medium you know yeah. when you can buy the grass-fed or grain-fed or whatever from local do it but also you need to think about budget so when you can go to the store yes. get get the sales and all of that good stuff so, I mean, we, we dived a bit into uh being on a budget and a meat-based diet. What are your thoughts around you know organs, l- one or fruits? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put those into a pair. You can answer it how you like because you and I both know now. There's obviously the, this like debate or controversy within the community about you know whether we need organs, whether we need fruits. So. I would love to hear from your perspective. You can tackle that however, however you like, yeah, yeah. but, um, it's very, very interesting.
1: <laughs> so, um, what, uh, in nutritional therapy, we talked about organs and nutrient density. And so there's no question that organs are the most nutrient dense foods, but it gets a lot more nuance in that. So as I worked with clients and some of them are doing hair and minerals and basically, That allows you to see the mineral status within your cellular function, not just in your blood. Um, So these markers are a much more, I guess, um, an average of a, I think it's like three months. And so I started seeing some odd things. Like I started seeing copper was really high and chromium is high. And people were starting to say they have joint pain and they're just not feeling well. And as I dug through it, um, I ran into Grant Jenner's work, which he basically talks about vitamin A toxicity. And I know they go um, to the opposite end where they say that you don't need vitamin A at all. And I'm not necessarily like I didn't go into that level of research. So I'm not even saying that I just started looking at the vitamin A content. So from my understanding, it's always been that vitamins, fat soluble vitamins always work in balance, they work together. And when you look at the nutrient density of like organ meats, especially uh, beef liver, chicken liver, the level of vitamin A, I think for three ounces is 500% of your daily value versus the D, E, and K are not even at 50%. I think it's like 10, 20%. So my first thought was, Hmm, like that balance is not even there. So you would be required to eat fish or something that has more vitamin D, but fish like fatty fish, salmon also has vitamin A. So then it, that was one thing I started looking into. And then when I looked at the copper content for that same beef liver of three ounces, which is about hundred grams, the copper content is thousand something percent of your daily value. And it started making sense why I started seeing that. And then chromium is also high on liver. So I started putting everything together. And then I was, I was doing more research. There's a lot of studies. um, And I interviewed Dr. Garrett Smith about vitamin A toxicity and he shares a lot more. So when I first brought this up, um, people were mad because I am now bringing up this like Holy grail of food in the carnivore community. And now I am putting a stigma against it. And so people are upset and And I knew that they would be, but and I was honestly very hesitant of sharing this content, but I knew that it was the right thing to do. So Mm. I decided to share it anyway. And and the biggest reason I shared it is because for a young child that's under three, we have tolerable upper limits uh, where the government says, if you eat more than this consistently, you can get unwell. And for a child that's under three, if they eat more, if they eat even one ounce of liver, they are risking, they, they are past that upper limit. And I know for myself with my child, I fed him liver pate, which the fat also in the liver pate makes the vitamin A more absorbable that I knew I was possibly hurting my child. And so I just thought as a service to the community, since I was such an advocate of doing chicken liver pates and these pates to just get the food in that I should also now tell them my new science. And it's just that depending on where you are in your situation with your liver health, um, with your young child, maybe you should have a little bit more hesitation with eating these foods. And, and so I felt that duty just because I brought up eating liver pate and stuff. Mm. Um, I think it's risky for a child under three that their liver is not fully developed. And then on top of that, again, one ounce is above the tolerable limit. And then if you're doing it every day, cause you're like first foods help health, super healthy, let's feed them all the liver. Well, you're burdening that liver because the liver um, has to store any excess fat soluble vitamins. And it's just um, with all the studies. Uh, I know that there were some advocates in the space that said, oh, that's nonsense. It's only if you eat polar bear liver. And uh, what was the other thing? They also said it's only with synthetic vitamins. Well, a lot of the studies we cited with Dr. Garrett Smith and all the studies are listed in the show notes. We shared that it was more than just synthetic vitamins that actually, if you took some type of retinol medication. If you took Accutane, um, if you eat uh, these vitamin A's, even if you get it from beta carotene from carrots and you're eating with fat, all of these end up in the body converting to vitamin A in one form of another. Your body is not going to know that if it's a vitamin A synthetic form versus the form that's Mm -hmm. in foods. And a lot of the vitamin A in the supplements are the animal-based forms. So again, it was just, I, I, The part that was a little shocking to me was, I understand the average person being upset because this is a, you know, a whole food, it's real. How can you um, um, say that there's a risk of sometimes overeating these things? But when some of the advocates went against it, that was the part that I didn't understand because we just shared the studies, we shared all the stuff and um, they were upset. And, you know, I know that some of these people have financial reasons for that, but Maybe they, and so my logic was maybe they just really believe that it's just the synthetic vitamins. I don't know, but I I just think that all my goal was, was so that people would be concerned about eating too much liver. And I do believe in our biofeedback. Um, I believe that our bodies have innate wisdom, right? You smell something rotten. Your body's going to have this scowl on your face. Your stomach kind of feels weird when you eat too much liver, you might be able to feel that. And that's a really good thing. But when we start taking supplements and liver chips and other ways that bypass our body's innate wisdom, that's where it gets kind of scary. So when we sprinkle it into our child's eggs and they don't realize it's there, it's just, how do we know the harm that we're doing when we can't really tell liver health, unless you do a biopsy and how many people are going to do that. If you check your vitamin A in blood, it's not, A good measure because again, it's in the liver, and the only way, again, is going to do a biopsy. So, I think what's happened in the past year, though, is since it's been about a year since I shared it, I've heard some of the advocates when it first came out said there's no limit that you have you can consume organ meats. And now I heard him say, or some of the people say, uh, you should limit it to maybe four ounces. And then I heard two, and supposedly now they're saying half. So, I'm like, good, like, as long as like. I don't care whether I get the credit or if I got bashed on for that. As long as there's a little bit of a hesitation that people aren't like, you're not feeling better on carnivore liver, harder, do more organ Mm -hmm. meats. As long as that's not the mantra, then what I wanted was my, my goal has succeeded. It's just, maybe it is the liver. And that's all I wanted for the community is you figure out your own situation. If you came to the carnivore diet with poor liver health, it's probably not a good idea to be eating that much vitamin A. If you've taken vitamin A, retinoids, retinol, uh, accutane in the past, a lot of that vitamin A is likely stored in your system. If you ate a lot of carrots and sweet potatoes and a lot of beta carotene from plant based foods, and then you're trying to now eat vitamin A like two, three ounces or liver two, three ounces a day, it's probably not a good idea. And maybe in the future, as you're eating carnivore long-term and your liver is super healthy, maybe you can enjoy it on occasion, have it in your pate. But I think it was really, really critical to bring this up. Mm-hmm. So that, so that's just the vitamin A part. part. Um, and then recently, I started noticing with some of my clients that they were getting gout flares even on a carnivore diet. So then I started looking into that. And gout is primarily triggered from fructose, purines, and then alcohol. So alcohol and fructose pretty much breakdowns the same way in the body. And then purines are the other one. So that's why a lot of doctors will say, don't eat red meat. Red meat has a lot of purines. It causes gout. Well, the real issue is fructose. So it's the fructose that's in high fructose corn syrup, and it's what's in honey, and it's what's in fruits. Now, I know that we all think that fruit is super healthy, and it can be in moderation, um, maybe once a day. But when you are eating mostly meats and then adding a lot of fruits or honey, Um, then it becomes a little bit of a concern. So um, I just brought up that purines can be high in red meats. So if you look at the actual purine list, red meat, steaks, chicken, pork, none of those are super high, the muscle meats aren't that high, where it gets high, are the liver, the organ meats, and there's some and, and I'm about to release a graphic soon that will show the different organs that have most of the purines. They are like, four times the amount for per serving than, um, uh, muscle meat. So if wow. you struggle with gout or you struggle with lung, uh, liver or kidney, um, imbalances, and they're not functioning really well, you want to be careful of the purine content. And unfortunately this also can, um, c- um, it also affects sardines. So sardines are also high in purines. So if you think about these foods and then you're adding fructose, you're adding, you're basically, um, really stimulating that uric acid cycle. And it's the uric acid cycle that then triggers gout. So if you struggle with any kidney imbalances, liver imbalances, you wanna be careful with the content of purines in your diet. And you also wanna be um, mindful of the fructose. And so I interviewed uh, Dr. Richard Johnson not too long ago, we talked about fructose and, and he first said fruits are healthy. That's fine. And I said, really, is it healthy? Like if you have a lots of grapes, lots of raisins, and if you were to just say, that's your primary carbohydrate source that you're always having some steak with liver and adding the honey and a little bit of fruit at the end. And then he said, yeah, that can actually make the load higher. So I think the, um, Recommendation is about 20 grams of fructose a day. Well, eating one mango would bypass that level already. So, that's oh. where you just have to be really mindful of the level of fruit. Maybe an apple with the skin on, the fiber protecting you from the fructose load, not that the fruit's actually beneficial, that may help you. But then, if you're also adding the high level of periods, it's just exacerbates that cycle. Mm. And a lot of Dr. David Perlmutter's new work, Dr. Richard Johnson, they talk about how a lot of that uric acid cycle that we don't really look at, but if you get your blood work done and you get your uric acid marker, and if it's above maybe six, seven, eight, and depending on context, um, that is another big indicator of metabolic syndrome. And it's just a fact that organ meats with their high purine content, maybe some sardines and then adding fructose. So all types of fruit honey is more fructose than glucose. And then even glucose can break down also into fructose as well. But if you eat these foods and your uric acid psych, uh, levels are going up, then you are doing harm or mm-hmm. you're risking the um, the chances of getting more metabolic syndrome. So that's where now there's so much more content about the organ meats just than the hypervitaminosis. It's also that there's a lot of uh, purines. And if you struggle from gout again, and if you have hyperuricemia, you probably want to reduce those as they're probably contributing to obesity and metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance.
0: Well, yeah, definitely. And I, I noticed specifically when I was sort of doing a bit of a honey experiment myself, I'm very active. I train, I do CrossFit like six times a week. Wow. Um, and I just thought I'd give it a go. And I wear my aura ring. And and I noticed in the mornings, my aura ring, I couldn't get it off my finger. It, it was the first, it my fingers were,
1: swelling, were like
0: swelling. Yeah, okay. just from the honey. Yeah, no, and, I believe it. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, I think I found, a quite a happy medium now with with my with my. I I don't do honey. I do occasionally have like a little bit of berries for desserts or a little bit of avo. But I suppose you've always said it all along. It's like context matters. I think yes. some people look at certain people, certain advocates in the in the community, and they're like, "Oh, you know, let me latch onto this this health guru and do exactly what they're doing. You know, even if I'm not feeling good, let me do what they're doing because they must be doing something, right? Because they look, you know, they look good. They <laughs> spending all day doing doing stuff that that I'm not doing. So surely something's doing." something they're doing is right. Sure. But even that goes back to uh, what you're saying about the organs and things. It's like, we have this innate wisdom within, within us. And I noticed when I ate, you know, when you eat chicken livers, you eat too much, you very quickly get this weird metallic taste in your mouth. It's, it's hard to describe. It's like your body just saying, please don't put any more of that in my body. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, it, it kind of reminds me as a kid, you know, the reason why you didn't like your vegetables is because kids have that innate wisdom within them, but they don't want to eat vegetables because right. clearly your body just doesn't want to have to do anything to do with that. So yeah, I, I think there's so much in that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And one thing I'll say is, so whenever I brought up that argument about the vegetables for the young kids and they'll say <laughs> other people will say, well, kids love sugar. Does that mean that we should be giving them sugar? And I think that's from an evolutionary perspective. Sugar is the most easiest form of energy. It gives you that immediate energy. And so I think that's why we like sugar, right? It not mm. only hits our neurotransmitters, but also we, if from a survival perspective, it's going to let us survive one extra day. And so I think that's why kids tend to really like sugar. It's not that they're meant to be eating that much sugar. Um, yeah, I, I think with the organ meats and the fruit, it's the the biggest thing I've noticed is that a lot of these advocates, they've never really been sick, like they've never really been sick, and they don't work with individual patients. So it's hard for them to really get a pulse on what really happens. um, And what are the ramifications of their advice, right? If we have people that talk to us through social media, most people will share back to us what we want to hear, right? So as a person Mm -hmm. on the internet, I may put out some content and someone will say, oh, my gosh, I feel the same way. And so to me, that's validating of, okay, I put out good content, but that's like maybe 10 people compared to thousands of people that just don't respond or the people that it didn't work for that will say, I'm just going to move on and they don't talk to you about it. And so we live in a very siloed experience online. And so we think that's reality. And your reality check is when you start working with individuals in a clinical setting that you hear um, i've tried the uh, honey i've tried the carbs at night and i don't feel as good and then everything you believe through evidence-based research through your books through all that other good stuff you get challenged because you meet clients and patients that they challenge your thinking and you realize okay there are actually exceptions to this right and that's when you start digging into other areas and that's how i found organs otherwise i would probably still be singing my first book is all about you should eat organs and why it's so good for you and I mean, I have to change that part of my book because that's not where I stand anymore. And a big reason is because my clients weren't feeling well and I had to go search why. Like, I know that this meat-only carnivore diet is so powerful, but why are my clients feeling worse? And when I noticed the gout with the purines or the fact that, um, that maybe they're having too much fruit after their meals... Um, And they're not as active as you. Right. So for them, maybe that fruit, the berries, the dose was too much. Right. Mm. And, and then in terms of the liver, it's just not always eat more liver. There's just, there's nuances and context for each person. And, and we didn't have that in our space. And that's where I just wanted people to understand it's not even about hypervitaminosis, A. it's about everything we can over nutrient um, nutrition, it's it's an absolute thing. There are certain tolerable upper limits for vitamins and minerals. And some of them, they don't have it like there's some, um, I think it's some B vitamins, I can't remember, I might have been potassium as well, but they don't have upper limits. So maybe those are a little bit safer. But most nutrients have upper limits, meaning that the, the, the scientific world has determined that an excess of this consistently, you can actually get sick mm-hmm. and vitamin A is one of them. And there's again, a lot of studies that show that. And then now with the purines, a carnivore person will generally eat a lot more purines than the average person. And then when you also then add organ meats and then add fruit, you may just, if the, and the biggest way people will know is if they feel that they're regressing or stalling on a carnivore diet. And it's the best thing to do is try and trust your own body.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I actually think that's a great segue to, I want to say electrolytes. The reason why mm-hmm. I'm saying is because I I know I messaged you a few months ago. I really wanted to have you on, but um, I know you're having a bit of a social media um, break slash <laughs> detox. So I appreciate that. <laughs> maybe we can get into that at the end. But you you, you said something which, which actually prompted me to do what I did. You, you said maybe you are playing mad chemist with your mm. electrolytes and your supplements and things like that. Cause at the time when i had started carnivore, I had it, I had it firmly in my head. Um, I was a bit constipated. Mm. For the first time in my life, I was losing weight instead of putting on weight, which has never happened to me. And that's part of the reason why I went on carnivore. And in my mind, I was like, okay, no, I have to have magnesium. So I was having, I was having magnesium citrate in the morning and magnesium Bicarbonates in the evening. I was mixing it up. I was mashing it up, and I was just having a lot of magnesium. And Mm -hmm. and I just I still wasn't feeling good. Like I wasn't sleeping well. I -hmm. felt lethargic. I cut out organs, which definitely made a difference. Um, I also had my hair mineral uh, analysis done, and my copper was like through the roof. (laughs) But I, through your advice, actually, I was like, okay. Let me just let me just cut out magnesium. And the world didn't end, you know. My body found its footing. Um, I I wasn't constipated. But what are your thoughts on on that? On on playing mad chemist, um, electrolytes, however you want to tackle that. Sure. Yeah.
1: So minerals are really finely balanced in our system. It's true that our food are so whether in our soil, so whether it's the cow that's eating the grass or whether it's the The plants that were, you know, um, harvesting, all of them are lower in minerals than they used to be. So in some aspects, we may need to doing a hair mineral test is obviously a good sense of figuring out what may be imbalanced, but generally I do see that, you know, magnesium has become this godsend recently, and I feel like vitamin D as well. And, but um the main minerals are calcium magnesium potassium and sodium and so those four really need to be in balance and Yes, our food affects the balances, but a lot that affects it is our stress levels. So when we are stressed, we will start losing our potassium. When our potassium starts dropping, the sodium tries to balance that out. When the sodium and potassium are both dropping, then magnesium and calcium start imbalancing too. So you start bleeding out more magnesium and then your calcium, if you're really stressed and you're like building up this internal wall of um, I need to just get things done and I'm just going to uh, run hundred miles an hour then your calcium may be really, really high. And you just, if you think about like scum on the water, uh, the windows and it's like this calcium buildup, that's kind of what's happening inside our bodies with a lot of that stress. If you see your calcium really high on the hair mineral test. So if we understand that minerals all need to be in fine balance and when they're not in balance, uh, minerals are spark plugs in this our body. So we require them to have activation of things in our body. And so they're really, really important. But a lot of vitamins, especially if, or a lot of supplements, especially if they're, you know, just from the grocery store, let's say, and it's like a poor quality, you don't know what type of, um, like you said, magnesium glycinate or magnesium or magnesium citrate versus glycinate versus bicarbonate. They all function slightly differently and your body may not tolerate it as much. You don't know at what time you're absorbing more than the other, but Mm -hmm. we are, like you said, playing mad chemist and just constantly taking the same. But it's like our sleep, our diet, our hunger is not the same every day. So how Mm -hmm. do we know that our minerals should be the same every day? And then the biggest thing I don't like is when people just supplement magnesium, because oftentimes it's a lot of other things. Um, When I do a lot of the hair mineral tests, I'd say only half of them, I would recommend supplementing magnesium and I first say use topical magnesium spray since it um, absorbs better through the body. And sometimes it's just, they need a little bit more potassium or sometimes they need just a little bit more like sole water, which is unrefined salt. And if, when you soak it, the minerals are a little bit more unbound. So it's like trace minerals and you just drink a little bit of that. So that's where I normally have people start is just do a little bit of salt water in the morning and see how they feel. If they are getting like the leg cramps um, the chest beating the heart, beating the heart palps, and their leg muscles feel kind of heavy, maybe they need a little bit more of the magnesium potassium. And you want to, maybe you can try some of the basic electrolytes that has their own balance. If that doesn't make you feel well, then I would consider a hair mineral test. But sometimes it's not even electrolytes, it could just be that you might need more omega threes, it might be something else. And so that's where I think, again, on the internet, you know, we, we follow people that are really healthy. And so we think that their advocation is what's right for us, but they're not metabolically unbalanced. Maybe their stress levels are different than us, and maybe Mm. their minerals are different. Or even if you are really in tune with the hair mineral test, maybe they're a different type of oxidizer than us, right? So maybe they burn through minerals way faster than me who burns through them slower. So that's where the I guess wellness online becomes difficult because it's everything is very nuanced. Everything really is. It depends. So there are some people that really need magnesium, right? Um, Without magnesium, you can have a heart attack, but it's in context. So if you only use magnesium, then you could deplete yourself of the other macro minerals. And when your body has less of a main mineral and even the micro minerals, like the trace minerals of boron and other types of uh, minerals, your body can then use some of the heavy metals to, if they're the same weight and size to do some of that spark plug action. So it may intentionally hold on to some heavy metals to balance because you're missing some type of good mineral that your body needs. And so that's where um, even from a heavy metal perspective, I kind of like to balance the other minerals first before even thinking of detoxing heavy metals Hmm. because they might just be there because your body has to use them. And think of this, the trace, um, think of the, the table of elements, um, all minerals are on a level and it's like based on weight and size. And so you can see how, for example, if we're deficient in iodine, we might just be holding more bromide and chloride because they're all on the same table of elements. Mm. And so it's just all these nuanced things and we don't, but we hear magnesium's good. So let's magnesium harder. Right. But it's not always the case
0: yeah definitely and I know you mentioned the the, the salt water um which I don't I don't I so I'm pretty lazy I just wake up and I put some table just some ref, just really thin um, Himalayan sure. pink salt in water in the yeah. morning and I drink it like is that fine and so yeah
1: I, I, I I think the it's fine too. Um, If you feel fine, then I wouldn't worry about it. But the reason why I like having the sole water is like, if you just had a big jar and you made it one time, so maybe you put Mm. half a cup of like the Himalayan salt in there and you just fill it with water. And then every morning, instead of um, tapping the salt, just use a tablespoon of that water and put it in your regular water. Why I like that is because a lot of the trace minerals are a lot more unbound when you're consuming Mm. it versus when you're eating the salt, with some of the minerals in it, as it goes through your digestive process, if it doesn't unbind, then you are not absorbing it. So that's the reason.
0: Okay. Thanks. That's actually super helpful. I really want to try that now. Um, And then, I mean, I want to be respectful of your time. This has been so, so much fun. Um, I thought I'd end with recently, I think you spoke to you and Laura have a a podcast um, and you were talking about, you know, ownership plus consistency. I love that because this is a, it's a long-term, you know, you, you took probably decades to damage yourself and you know, it's not going to, things aren't going to happen overnight. Um, I don't know if you can maybe end on that thought because I, I love that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, I think the blessing of me struggling with a mental health aspect of illness really helps me to understand that a lot of times We judge a person by their outside, right? So if someone's thin enough, then we're like, oh, they're, they're healthy. They're doing everything right. But I struggled with an eating disorder behind closed doors and it was very, very hard and dark. Um, And then when you see someone obese, if they're eating something unhealthy, they're like, yeah, that's why they're unhealthy. Right. Uh, And, and the thing is, there's a lot more to a person than how they look outside. So that's one, but what we want to do is if we understand that aspect that we can't just judge by the outside cover then when we are also taking advice online, I mean, we are living in a period where there is so much free content and so many people that are experts and advocates for things. And the more people are popular in terms of follower account, they seem more convincing. And the thing is to do well on social media, you have to have a little bit of um, entertainment. You can be a great actor. And so just because someone has followers or they're influential does not mean that that answer is right for you. So if you decide to follow a path, um, generally understand the diet, do a little bit of that research in advance. Don't just say the next day, I'm going to start a carnivore diet because that gets really difficult Mm
0: -hmm. set up your
1: environment, find the meats that you enjoy, do the things that you are mentally and emotionally ready to get started. And then once you get started, I think sometimes it's better to not listen to a lot of nutritional content. And I know that's like, what I I do that kind of (laughs) stuff. But the reason is because there's always someone selling something, whether it's figuratively or really selling, but it becomes a lot. And then in your moments where you're not feeling well, you're going to think, oh my gosh, I do need carbs for thyroid health. I do (laughs) need this for something health. And, And that's why I'm not feeling well. And then those little thoughts become chatter in our head. We have like 60,000 thoughts in our head. We might know maybe 10% of it, and, but that negativity, it stays. And then when we're struggling, we lean on those things to basically self-sabotage, right? So we may try the honey, we may try the fruits. And then we say, well, I feel better eating fruits now, or I feel better honey. Sure. It's a stimulant, right? It Like drug is a stimulant too. Caffeine mm. is a stimulant, but what if in three months you realize, oh man, this was the wrong route. What if you just didn't listen to some of that content and you just stuck through the three months. And for most people eating in sufficient calories, eating enough fat on their carnivore diet or a meat only diet. And then if you want to add some veggies, I'm totally supportive of that. Then if you feel better, then it was good that you didn't have to go through these other journeys. I mm. think taking ownership of just don't loosely take in information. It's really easy to get sucked in, right? Lately uh, through the pandemic, we all know that there's so many different sides to who was right with the science of the vaccine or the pandemic and all the other things. Well, we know now that depending on which scientists you follow, they will have the right answer. And so if you know that then in terms of diet and wellness, that people will always have a different answer as well, depending on who you're following. So if you know your sort of diet and when things aren't working, maybe you want to look that up, but otherwise just enjoy your life, have the community that, you know, will support you get through this, Um, focus on having a safe environment, meaning maybe no junk food in your house for a while until you can pass this hurdle. Maybe you say, I'm not going to go to happy hours for a little bit, but the goal then is taking ownership, saying, I'm not going to listen to people that may make me stumble for now. I may have to go out less for now. And, and I really want to dig in because I want to change my life because I know how my life feels right now. And I know how unwell I am and unhappy, but I want to change this. So if carnivore or meat only, or some other diet is my ticket to that, I'm going to go all in and give yourself that grace of, it may not be perfect, but be consistent, not once a week. It's okay. This isn't working. Maybe meat isn't good for me. And then that self-doubt I'm telling you guys, it's It is what causes so many people to fall. Those thoughts that we don't think are pervasive once we hear it. And once we start doubting the diet and when the diet gets hard, which all diets get hard, the Mm. easiest thing people are going to say is, yeah, your diet, like that's a crazy diet. And then it's easy to fall off. And then you realize, well, my old diet didn't work now too. And you're struggling again and you're Mm -hmm. back at square one. And all you're doing is like spinning your wheels in the first week or two or month of carnivore. But if you just were to stay consistent eat the meat you want. Don't care if it's bacon all the time and eggs, that's, that's still very nutritious. And, and then you can explore further as you progress, but it's just figuring out what will allow you to stay consistent and take ownership because no one cares about your health as much as you.
0: Yeah. I, I couldn't have ended better. <laughs> even if I tried, thank you so much, Judy, for your time. I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, so much, so much value in, in the conversation and Yeah, I know you're a busy person, so I appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed this conversation.
0: Thank you so much, Judy. Till next time.
1: Okay, bye.